On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the staff of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies gathers for the annual retreat and discusses the challenges of reopening, recent issues confronted related to infection control and life safety, mentoring new staff and administrators during a period of rapid change, and how we are preparing for the next wave. The ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, Eden Group Development, Surgical Information Systems, Intelair, Medicus IT, Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions, and BHG Patient Lending. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, a podcast for anyone interested in the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode is sponsored by Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. The ASC regulatory environment is increasingly challenging, but organizations that outsource their regulatory oversight to ambulatory healthcare strategies have an edge. AHS works with ASCs to oversee their quality improvement, risk management, emergency and infection control programs, run their meetings, develop education programs, and always be prepared for surveys. Welcome to episode 109 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for July 17th, 2020, recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Susan Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me from Studio 2 in Spencerport, New York, is the staff of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for the ambulatory surgery industry. Joining me today are John Gailey, Chief Operating Officer and Owner of AHS, recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Lori Rodericks, Director of Clinical Services for AHS and one of the nation's leading infection control specialists for ASCs. Alex Borneman, Director of Operations for AHS. Jenna Alvarez, Senior Nurse Consultant and Director of Startups for AHS. Judy D'Ambrosio, Senior Consultant for AHS and Director of Educational Services. Jim Masters, Senior Consultant and Director of Life Safety Services for AHS. Zachary Kalaridis, Consultant for AHS. Amy Durbano, Consultant for AHS and announcing the newest addition to our staff, Denise Van Buren, Senior Nurse Consultant for AHS. So welcome, everybody. So here we are in, uh, we call this Studio 2, since it's Mm -hmm. a makeshift studio in um, the ground floor of our home here in Spencerport, New York. We're sitting around our table here. Uh, We are coming to the end of our third annual retreat here for Amateur Healthcare Strategies. So uh, welcome, every. well, you've been here for two days, stuck with me. (laughs) Because I'm very, you know, I'm not long-winded at all, so I don't really no, take up much no, time. You yeah. never stop talking. I mean, <laughs> you. <laughs> so we've been doing quite a bit of uh, strategy discussions over the last uh, 24 hours, or how long have we been here? Two days? Uh, yeah, two okay. days. Yeah, long sorry. two and a half. 
And I, I just want to kind of start off talking a little bit about how, you know, what's the purpose of our, our retreat. So this is something we do annually. Usually it's in June of each year. This is our third annual, although we, we had predecessors uh, doing similar stuff. It just wasn't as formal as before. And two years ago, we were in the um, Poconos. Last year, we were up in the Adirondacks. And today, we're in our backyard because of a certain <laughs> pandemic. I don't know if anybody knows that we had a pandemic recently. <laughs> Uh, that has caused us to be socially distanced here in our uh, our basement retreat. Yeah, I think it, I think it affected us a little bit here in New York. Yeah, especially. a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> and our company, of course, has been very uh, busy during this whole time. Probably busier than any other regulatory consulting firm, you know, serving the amateur surgery industry. And in order to get through this, we've had to to meet virtually. So we've been doing Zoom sessions, you know, since March. And uh, the problem is that you really don't get as much done as you do in person. So we've gotten far more done in the last two days than we did in person. Anybody want to talk a little bit about uh, their experience here and whether it was worthwhile or I just wasted all of our time and money? Just your money. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, from the operations side, I I think it's been incredibly helpful. not only has it given me time to actually focus on my operations, which I haven't been able to do with uh, everything going on with COVID, um, but also it's given us an opportunity to you know, meet with our staff and actually um, discuss the strategies moving forward, which I think is huge, especially preparing for our new world and um, preparing for next year. Yeah, so this company has actually doubled in size in the last 18 months, and we grew 20-25% during uh, the COVID crisis between the beginning in March and and where we are today. So doing the strategy meeting has been extremely important uh, for us to kind of get our you know, ourselves back in order. Well, something that you talk about a lot is that strategic planning and how important mm -hmm. it is. And it just doesn't happen naturally through, you know, fitting in a little bit here and there. You really have to sometimes set aside time to really focus on that. And and to that end, you know, we've talked on the podcast before, Sue, about how uh, it doesn't, it's not always at the highest level that you have to do this. So, I mean, we know how difficult it is to get doctors. Uh, Denise, our, our newest addition here, uh, will vouch for that. Trying to get a doctor's together, uh, unless you have a lot of food and alcohol, I guess, uh, <laughs> is nearly impossible. Um, and, and, and then telling them that you're going to do a strategy session probably is even worse because they, you know, they, that's not the way they think. But I think one of the takeaways that we certainly have every year when we get together is how important it is for at least administration, for people at the highest levels in the organization to get away in some way uh, to do this. If you have to do it on a Saturday, if you have to do it on a weekend, if you have to, I guess a Saturday and a weekend is the same thing, uh, or, or in the evening, or, you know, just tell your staff, I need, you know, eight hours where we just sit down and talk this thing through. And I think that would be valuable for anybody. It helps you to set some goals. What do you think about the fact, I mean, we've written everything down here. Right. I mean, it's important not only to talk it through, but to document it and put it down to to remember. You know, when you think about not just as a strategy meeting, this is a something that should be looked at by all ASCs because you need to do this with your staff as well. Yeah. You, you know, you you should take that time if not just to talk what's going on with your center, but also do your training. Yeah. Um, ask their questions. Get their input. Because that's a great way to keep uh, positive staff, mm-hmm. uh, re- reinforce their importance to you. Because, man, aren't they now that you've noticed, many of you, if your staff haven't come back? Yeah. Um, so you want them to be appreciated and appreciate the fact that they have a place that wants them as well. You know. Well said. Well said. 
And, uh, you know, we invite everybody uh, in our company to get there. We have 10 of our 14 employees here, and so fortunately some of them can't make it, uh, uh, you know, for various reasons. Like childcare is actually one of our issues right now because we do have uh, a young mom who's got two young boys at home. Uh, actually, Sue tends to be the, the, uh, <laughs> the child care person there. And, of course, that's not happening since she's here. And that's um, my daughter. I don't That's just, right. I don't just freelance. <laughs> Before everybody signs up. Well, it is an opportunity. <laughs> she does homeschooling. <laughs> um, and, by the way, uh, I, well, I guess you left the dog out, right? So Yep. yep yeah, he's so outside. He's outside. We have invited the dogs here, which have been providing some of the entertainment while we're here. Yeah, so, I mean, just getting together every day, but, uh, you know, on, on a Zoom session is not enough. And I think one of the things we have talked about is really there is um, some advantage in, in the future for our centers to be doing their board meetings virtually. I mean, I think it's better to have a Zoom meeting than to not be, ever be able to get these people together. But I think a lesson that we've learned through this, too, is you just don't get anywhere near the amount of work done, even through a Zoom session, as you do in person, when you're able to talk things through and you have that time. And when you're, you know, and, and of course, serving food is, is a big part of that. I don't think anybody starved while they're here. Yeah, we Thanks like food. partially to Judy, who is our resident. And no, I can't take credit for all of this, man. <laughs> food fast, holy cow. Yeah, we had a problem last night in that only half of our food arrived for dinner. And yet, we still, we still, had, we still had enough. It was still everybody had enough. plus up. <laughs> So I, I want to go around, uh, I, actually every one of you I've a, I have a specific area or question that I want to ask and I just want to kind of, uh, let, you know, one of our, our purposes here is kind of talk about what have been the experiences uh, since we restarted. We're in here in New York and a lot of our centers started up again in June uh, and that's kind of what's been happening nationally too, I think. Uh, so just talk about some of the experiences in each, each of the different areas. I'm going to start with Jenna here. By the way, I don't know if we've officially made this, but Jenna is about to make me a grandfather. Jenna is my daughter. She's also a senior nurse consultant here. And uh, we, we've given her the uh, title of director of uh, startups, right? Yes, not the director of Starbucks, which was <laughs> you when Sue said it the first time. Not a sponsor. It's the mask. It's the mask. So we have, uh, what was it, Alex, seven startups that we have at the present? time and in different yep. stages and and uh three of them jenna right three or two i don't i, I can't That's keep two that are about to open right we had one that opened last year right right we have a new one that alex and i are working on together a couple obs's and a couple uh Office-based ones that... And during this whole stage, of course, uh, during the pandemic, uh, all of them were to have opened during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, if the pandemic had not occurred, they would have opened during March, April, May. And, yep. of course, that didn't happen. Just yeah. talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you've had and what the delay has caused. Because, you know, the people that are listening here that, you know, are in startups right now kind of need to know what the damage is <laughs> from, a, from this type of a delay or any type of a delay. Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, um, we've had the same problems that, um, you know, other industries are having that construction shut down for the most part. And I know my one center that was still waiting for quite a few inspections, the town was shut down, so they couldn't get the town to come in or they couldn't get the plumber to come in or, yeah. you know, so definitely construction got set back a little bit. And then on top of all of the preparation we were doing, to get the center ready to open under normal circumstances, we then also had to prepare to open during the middle of a pandemic where the, you know, regulations were changing every 
hour. day. Hour. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I know my one center was all, you know, everything had been submitted. We were all ready uh, on the clinical side. And they then said, actually, we need your COVID plan and this policy. And, you know, yeah. which, I mean, was fine. We'd already created it because we knew it was going to be an issue. But um, uh, the other thing is that because centers have never ordered PPE before, some of the newer centers are having trouble that they're not being allowed or they're having trouble finding vendors that will allow them to order N95s um, and other PPE. So that's been another interesting challenge that we're just finally starting to resolve. And, you know, obviously there's the financial setbacks where they're paying the lease and the, you know, you, All of the facility. <laughs> financial people refer to that as overhead. Ah, there you go. <laughs> and while there's, you know, delayed in opening and bringing in money, and then also there's the delays in the state. I mean, you I'm sure Coming in and surveying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I know um, my two startups that are very close to opening are in New York, and for quite a bit of the time, and actually they are still uh, at some regional offices working from home. Right. So we actually did our first virtual survey <laughs> and it was the first for the surveyors too they had never done a virtual survey before themselves so they yeah uh, it was very a very interesting uh experience yeah i had um, to walk around with a cell phone in my hand pointing you know they would tell me where to aim the camera you know so you know i'd have to do a close-up on uh the uh you know signs yeah. you know i have to put the camera up to uh, you know hole in the wall and, and it was interesting it was yeah not fun so and, and then they did come back a second day for an actual to do uh, an actual life uh, or not life safety but uh, physical physical inspection of the of the facility um, look for penetrations and the, the things that you couldn't really see on a, on a camera phone right, right. <laughs> so I, those have been kind of some of our, our unique situations and then also, you know, Triple HC wasn't doing surveys for a long time, too, So, yeah. or they were only doing prioritized ones. So even if they had been able to open during the pandemic, they wouldn't have been able to get yeah. certified with Medicare. So. And that still is going to delay us there. I think that, uh, and, and of course, we're in New York right now, and the startups that you're referring to are in New York. And with, with the governor of New York requiring a quarantine from certain states, there are surveyors that you know, have some challenges coming here. I mean, I, I, they, they're allowed to do that because they're considered an essential employee. However, the, the challenge is that many of those surveyors really don't want to come to New York because of the reputation that uh, New York has had for the COVID pr- uh, problems. So, Jim, you are our uh, resident uh, surveyor from Triple uh, C. Uh, you know, in uh, life safety. Uh, you're a deemed status surveyor. You do life safety stuff. And you have uh, an incredible background in life safety over the years working for the state of New York as a surveyor sanitarian in, in New York. A lot of the challenges that we've had in the last, uh, you know, four or five months has been really in the life safety area. And you've uh, been cons- called upon quite a bit, you know, by our staff on this. So I, why don't you just walk us through some of the things that we've had to deal with on the life safety side during this problem and after we reopened? Yeah, some of the major issues have been maintaining your PMs on on the equipment and uh, keeping the cycles, the quarterly cycles, weekly, monthly, you know, whatever the specific system is. But um, a lot of places closed, and they're closed for three or four months and didn't do any PMs or any testing or any maintenance on their systems and then began bringing 
patients back in. So, you know, the requirement didn't stop. There were no 1135 waivers for life safety uh, systems. So, you know, a lot of places um, did not maintain their fire alarm systems, their sprinkler systems, or even their, their biomed frequencies if they happen to fall in that quarterly thing. And drills. Uh, obviously, no drills were conducted if there was no staff around. And a lot of places didn't, did not conduct drills when they came back into the, the centers to reopen for patients. So that's one of the things, if they're just getting reopened now, they want to make sure they go back and, and get those cycles started back up, and specifically fire drills. And even if they haven't done a disaster drill, they should write this COVID um, pandemic up and their closure process and how they started back and all the things that have happened to them, you know, record it. It's a perfect, perfect disaster uh, report. Yeah. yeah, you know, for for compliance. So <laughs> if you're doing the third quarter or second quarter, uh, don't worry, you have a disaster that you can document no matter where you so are in the absolutely. country. Absolutely, but yeah. I want to make sure that they do these drills and PMs and everything before they bring the patients back into the right, right, into exactly. the centers. Right, very important. And and it's certainly, if you've forgotten to do some of these things, it's time to you need to do those things immediately. Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, some people might have been rushed into it. So definitely, right. You could have equipment failures if you. If you skipped your biomed check and yeah. now you're using them on patients, how do we know that equipment is still good to use? Yeah. Well, and I, I've seen that even with our podcast equipment, you know, you turn the equipment off and you're never, never quite sure if it's, it's coming back. When you turn something off for three or four months. Yep. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure you're, you're following your manufacturer's recommendations for when you turn these things off for any extended period of time. That, right. That, that, you know. And this goes along with your sterilization equipment and yeah. scope cleaning and all that. So you want to make sure that everything's, you know, operating properly before you reopen. Yeah. And, and again, you, you stated something we need to always emphasize, the importance of reading your manufacturer's instructions. If you have any doubt about what needs to be done, you need to refer to those. You might be surprised at what they say about starting up after a period of time or, or restarting. Lori. Mm-hmm. Back to you, over to you. Um, you are, of course, our infection control expert. You're certified. Uh, you're a certified ambulatory infection preventionist, CAPE. Um, you have uh, really, uh, well, first of all, during this whole time, you became uh, uh, full-time with our company. And up until then, you had been pretty close to full-time, but uh, during the uh, pandemic, we brought you on full-time. And uh, you have become extremely, uh, well, obviously very valuable to us in, in helping our clients through this. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've been called upon to deal with and some of the challenges that UC centers have upon reopening. I think many people have the same issues. Uh, even today we were talking about how here in the state of New York and possibly other states, I'm not sure, um, when it comes to the mandated testing of the patients, getting those results back in time. So uh, it started at three days, now it's at the five days, um, but centers across the state are still having troubles getting their results. So what do you do? You know, by the nature of the rule, you have to postpone that surgery unless it's a true emergency and you can justify that. But if it's a pre-planned procedure, it's hard to to be able to justify that. Um, So that's kind of putting a um, shackles on some of the centers uh, throughout this state. So that's one of the issues. The other issue is um, potential complacency. Um, the fact that in many 
uh, states across the country, the numbers have been flat or gotten better. There's other states where they've just skyrocketed and gotten worse with the number of reported cases and whatnot. But the whole thing is, if you've put steps into place, if you've decided that you're going to do X, Y, and Z, still do X, Y, and Z, even if your town has or your area has been considered a safe zone because you don't know when it won't be. And by not following your own rules or your own guidelines could put you as a center in jeopardy. Um, and it just so happens that uh, we received some information from a friend um, in regards to the fact that in, in the tri-state area, and I'm sure across the country, there are people now going out and doing COVID surveys. Mm -hmm. So they're coming to your centers and they are looking to see what you have done, what your governing body has approved, if you're following what you've done, if you've, um, you have it in your minutes. There's a lot of things that they're coming for a couple of hours at a time um, to your center. They're talking to your staff, asking how they've been trained, if they've been trained, looking for that documentation, all since this whole COVID crisis. So it's not reaffirming what we've said before. It's reminding you now that if you haven't implemented this, you may really want to rethink that because it could have a lot of severe consequences on your center, not just financially, but maybe the livelihood of moving forward. Um, they've even uh, gotten to the point where they ask if you've talked with your infection control consultant. Really? So again, it's just, it's amazing what's out there or what they can find um, that they feel is going to help them. Um, Let's talk about that for a second there, that infection control consultant thing, mm -hmm. because we know CMS and the accreditation organizations require you to have uh, an infection control coordinator, which has to be employed mm -hmm. by the surgery center. That is a requirement that, that it needs to be somebody that is there virtually all the time. Mm -hmm. um, an infection control consultant is not generally required. There are some states that require it, but it's not generally required. Can you talk a little bit about the advantages? Well, first of all, what do you feel about the role of an infection control consultant post-COVID right now? Well, I think that it's a, it's a really big plus to your um, infection control preventionist that you have on staff that he or she has someone that they can run ideas off of, uh, confirm if they're doing things um, in the best manner that they could, um, sometimes to get a little bit of muscle to help enforce doing things the safest way. You know, so the consultants are, are basically that. They're, they're there to lead the staff that you've um, entrusted to do the right thing for your, your um, center and your staff and your patients. Um, so, you know, with that, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, a, it's actually a good thing. And, and sometimes, you know, your infection preventionist is your circulating nurse or, or your, uh, the head of your recovery or probably your nurse director. And, you know, they're, they're doing many other things. So, mm -hmm. you know, just having that, um, extra oomph or that resource to come into your center and look over your policies and see if things are, are, you know, up to snuff is, is really a, it's a benefit to you. And it's, it also shows your commitment 
as an organization. And your second eye and everything that you're doing. Yeah. yeah a little bit self-serving here, of course, because that's one of the services that well, we offer, but it, yeah, but it but, isn't something you should so, consider. I know yeah. when I was doing it at, at centers that I was at, it, it really would have been beneficial to have somebody like that yeah. um, to my, um, that I could count on. Yeah. Um, and in some cases I did, and in other cases I didn't. Um, and we only know what we know. Right. So if if we think we're doing it right and we're not, it's you know it could have a bad outcome, but not an intentional one. So yeah. it's it's hard that way, and, and um, you know, and you don't want to see that because we're all well, you know, the majority of people in healthcare are to help. So you know that that makes it a a little bit uh, different. But yeah, no, I think it's a a great opportunity right now. Alex, uh, you're the Director of Operations for Amateur Healthcare Strategies. One of your responsibilities is to make sure our resources go in the right direction. Uh, yeah. Somewhat similar to the types of challenges that you run in the surgery center in uh, doing that. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the, uh, the issues that you've uh, run into, some of the challenges? What are the biggest needs of our clients uh, from an organization such as ours, uh, which will help you know, give people an idea of what you know, what they're dealing with, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the large majority of our time, of course, has been spent on, you know, doing research and preparing our centers for the new world with COVID. Um, it, between, you know, introducing new infection control um, protocols um, that include screening, any policies they might need or programs they need to put in place for N95s, a lot of that work has taken time out of our normal everyday services. Um, so, you know, making sure that we have the resources to not only do our normal work, but also that research and that um, implementation for COVID has been difficult for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think things are starting to ease up in terms of, you know, things aren't changing every day. They're just changing every week. Right now. <laughs> yeah, so, right. it's, uh, of course, it was every little... hour at some points during. <laughs> right, the... right. Yeah. So it's definitely gotten a lot better. Um, we've gotten to a little bit more of that, you know, new normal. Uh, so many cliches now that we yeah, yeah. we are um, beginning. Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been challenging, and the one thing we've seen is especially in infection control, is the increasing need from the industry to start using consultants uh, more and more. Yeah. Um, as the regulations change day by day, that who can, what administrator can stay up to date with those? Um, yeah. You know, there really is a need for, you know, an outside body at least be plugged into your state association. Yeah. And hopefully they're staying up to date with um, everything for COVID. And certainly join the ASC Association, get actively involved in that. Consider becoming CAPE and CAST certified. We have a couple people around the table here that are uh, are uh, one or both. Um, yeah, absolutely, you got to get involved. You need that outside assistance. This industry has been built upon the concept that uh, uh, we help each other a lot. You know, it's kind of funny is that um, I think a lot of our patients, a lot of the consumers out there are noticing mm -hmm. that. Um you know, the, my husband uh, had to go to one of the larger institutions in Boston for an appointment. 
And he was told by the office, when you get there, you'll sign in at the front. They're going to take your temperature, ask you some questions. Then they'll send you up to the, you know, whatever floor um, where you will go to the doctor's office. So we walked in and no, they, they, they didn't do any of that. You yeah. know, they obviously, you know, took his, um, his ID and his insurance card and gave a mask, which was very nice. Um, mm -hmm. He went up to the appointment. I got to stay in the lobby, but there was no screening going on yeah. in wow. this big major facility. And he commented it on it. And he's yeah. not a, he doesn't follow, that's not our dinner discussion, you know, hey, guess what, who's not washing their hands? No, we, yeah. that, you know, so he noticed that and, you know, said something and it's like, huh. You know, where everybody's out there claiming, you know, our fitness center is the cleanest because we yeah. have you, you know, wash your hands when you come in the door or the grocery store. You can't come in now without a mask on, you know, which is great. But, you know, you really have to practice what you preach. Yeah, well, I, I, what I was mentioning earlier is uh, Jenna, my daughter here, is about to make me a grandfather. She is... Uh, going to be delivering in sometime in November, right? November 22nd is the official due date. And and the sad thing is that all of her visits, all of her prenatal visits have been without her husband, mm -hmm. which you've been very upset about. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is, they, well, no, I mean, they, they followed that very strict rule. They followed the mask rule, but they don't screen me at all. Um, the, yeah. first, the first time I went, That's which was very interesting because it was my first time actually out in the world other yeah. than my neighborhood because I, I found out I was pregnant two days after they they declared the pandemic yeah and so I, I quarantined for ever quite a long Still time a while. <laughs> and my first time out was to my OB appointment in April and the first you know I got into the parking garage got out of my car then as soon as you got to the door I got screened and then I walked down a hallway to the elevator, and before I got on the elevator, I got screened yeah. again. And then when I went downstairs to the <clears throat> towards the office, I got screened a third time, and that was April. And then ever since then, and I go monthly. Not, I mean, the, the um, ultrasound place does the screening and temperature, but my office doesn't, and um, the office building, and which is connected to the hospital no longer screens you and it's just an interesting uh how things have changed and yeah. you know they change they follow some rules but they don't follow other rules and yeah judy um i'm gonna throw you for a loop because i know when we talked i was going to ask you one question i'm asking you a second question because i, I just That's realized okay. uh judy is our director of educational services and uh Education has been an absolute key during this time, and one of the things that we did with the podcast and with ASC uh, virtual conferences here in the last, you know, since March, is do conference a lot of education uh, during that time. Been a big focus of what we've been doing. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the educational programs that you have been putting on, uh, doing in the background, and and some of the challenges that you've had with that, and. Uh, the requests that you're getting directly from clients with regard to some of this education? Well, it's changed from the beginning. I mean, when, when we first started, um, education was a big deal. Lori right. did several um, infection control presentations. We did uh, two different A New World presentations and yeah. then how to reopen, you know. So we did very much focus on, on our industry and what we could do to help not just our clients, but anyone out in the industry to get through some of the, what was really dangerous and what needed to be done. 
And then on paper, as a team, Jenna and Lori and Sue and I created um, educations for specific items like donning and doffing, new P, you know, PPE. Because honestly, a lot of our centers weren't N95 masking and didn't yeah. know how to do any of that and the fit testing and all of that. And now once that's... Not that I don't believe that that's still necessary, especially for some mm-hmm. of, um, of the centers that didn't have that opportunity. Those are still available, and, and, and they can reach out for those. But now I'm getting things like almost refreshers on things that weren't part of that. You know, like I, I got two requests just this week for sharp safety. Yeah. You know, which is not a COVID, and my, probably it is in some way if I thought about it long enough, but that doesn't seem like a COVID-related item. So then is it, okay, we focus so much on these one areas that we really need to get them back into their normal yearly have to. Um, so that, so I found that surprising. You know, like I was getting a lot of hand washing and aseptic technique and, and, and all of that seemed, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. You're right. Let me get that for you. Um, but now as the, the, the last couple of weeks, I've, I got an ergonomics request. Yeah. Um, Everybody's <laughs> sore from sitting. <laughs> you know, I should have thought of it. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, I want people to remember that we have those resources. We have, you know, yeah. a plethora of different, um, in-services and quick little training that we can do. And we're always there. Um, and a lot of these, by the way, are a, a shameless plug for our patron program. A lot of these that are available through our patron program if you become a patron of the ASC podcast with John Kaler. Go ahead. Yes, yes. <laughs> of course they are. And had I known that spiel, I would have said that. <laughs> um, I didn't know. Um, so, yeah, those requests seem interesting to me now. Um, the other things that, um, that I'm noticing during the change back to what is not normal. Yeah. I don't even know what to refer to this because this isn't back to normal. Yeah. This is back to weird. I, okay. <laughs> so during still weird. weird. It's like back to so during exactly. weird. Um, some of the things I've been working on with a few of my clients, I, I, I had a, a, a dual spectrum group of clients. So I had I have one client that didn't see a patient at all the entire second quarter. No. Easiest set of quality improvement minutes I have ever written in my in my life. Same sentence. Nope, didn't have any, no patient satisfaction, no cancellations. You know, we did no patient. Um, but it occurred to me that the whole reason we didn't have patients is an incident in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a so lot, you wrote up an incident report I, for that. Yeah, point. because... In addition to, as Jim talked about, the uh, you having a disaster uh, drill. But when you think yeah. about it, everyone should have way more incidents than they would have. I mean, if you follow what an incident report is supposed to be, and I know that, you know, John, not, I don't mean to say harps, but it's the only word I can come up with. Um, <laughs> nice. The idea that we are not looking for a center to say, we're great, we're perfect, we've had no problems of any kind. Um, the idea of incident reporting, it's part of the quality improvement process. If you have nothing, if you say you have nothing to improve on, then you never improve. Right. Um, and everything about this is an incident. Oh, my God, we need N95s. Oh, my God, no one's ever worn one before. Yeah. Oh, God, we have to get them all tested. We have to get them all fitted. You know, the, all of these are, are improvements we were forced to make, yeah. but they're still, they're still incidents. They're still reportable things that you did to improve what you offer to your patients, especially now when what we offer needs to, needs to improve for their safety and really for our own safety. Um, so, the, yeah, the new normal that isn't normal has brought up a whole lot of different things that I didn't expect. Um, I was talking with uh, Denise and Jenna about quality improvement studies. And this poor center needs a study, and they didn't do any patients. <laughs> so, um, and then we were having this really in-depth conversation about what from COVID could we write as a study. So you get 
you know, you're tooling along just fine in January and February, and now all of a sudden, okay, now we have an edict, now you have N95s. Well, you can't offer this service because I don't have those. I have nobody fitted for those. I can't do what's, what you're asking me to do. And then the changes that had to be made to make yourself ready to improve that process. Um, so there may be actually some opportunities for those of, of our clients and other people in the industry that struggle with writing quality improvement studies or coming up with something. Um, that, that may, it may actually work out to our benefit if we take our time and think about the changes that we made and how we can write those up. Sue, you've had some of the biggest challenges, and not that everybody here didn't have a lot of challenges, but uh, Sue has been uh, working with, uh, well, in at least one center, but really a couple centers that have had some uh, real uh, issues with staffing and in particular turnover at the highest level in the organization, both the administration. In this one center, both the administrator and the the nurse manager really had turned over uh, in the middle of the crisis and then uh, turned over again. Can you just talk a little bit about, I mean, this is a big issue for all of us. First of all, I think all of us, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm picking on Sue, but we've all kind of had issues throughout the whole thing, but I just thought it would be one thing to concentrate on. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the, the challenges that you've had and what you've had to do in order to prepare people for, um, you know, becoming an administrator? And certainly anybody else that wants to chime in since this is a big issue. almost all of us have had a yeah. Yeah. Have lost, have a lost nurse, nurse manager. I lost the one nurse manager to become part of the COVID screening or yeah. COVID yeah, and I know Alex lost one, and I lost one too. Of promoting yeah. our, our I think people got scared and jumped ship. Oh my God, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point. Yeah. People may, they might, there might be a lot of problems with people coming back. Yeah, you have people either retiring, or you know, finding they end up staying at a hospital or something like that. But you know, it's something we've talked about in general for quite a while. Um, the turnover being such a challenge in an ASC. I think because it's. You know, in an ASC, the nurse manager and the administrator have so many roles, a busy position. So when there's constant turnover, you you can't really ever get somebody up to speed um, and learning all the different roles they need to take on before we've got somebody else that we're trying to train. So, you know, everything from um, quality improvement, um, training and supervising the other nurses, um, infection control, all of the weekly, monthly, quarterly surveillance that they have to do. There's just so much to learn. So um, I've been at the One Center. I've also been working with the administrator and trying to help them during the interim, although there are some things that only a nurse can do. Right. One of the big struggles in one of the centers has been credentialing. And I think a lot of people don't understand the difference between credentialing of a provider and the insurance credentialing. Right. And, and how those differ and, and what the different um, requirements are for those. Yeah. So we've been working a lot on that and getting through the spreadsheets. And just, you know, we've got a lot of tools, but it takes time to learn how to fill those out, what to focus on. Um, you know, we can just mentor so much, but we need, right. we need people to kind of stick it out. And, <laughs> well, and it's an ongoing issue that, that, that you're, you're going to be dealing with this for the next year with them. And, and of course, I think there is still the challenge um, well, as we mentioned, this one particular position, they have an interim. The interim is leaving now yeah. because it's not its not something she wants to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, people are being, and sometimes people are being put into positions mm-hmm. that they didn't really want in the first place. Yeah, you have to be sure. Some, I mean, some yeah. people really just want to stay hands-on as a nurse. Other people want to be in an administrative yeah. position. But often in an ASC, you have to have a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, so we end up with struggles where we have somebody that really likes doing the paperwork part of it, but they really don't like getting pulled in. 
to help out bedside when they need to. And sometimes you need to do that. Right. Or it can be the other way. You know, you're a great clinical nurse, but you just don't really want to supervise people or, yeah. or you don't do it like doing the QI part. So it's a special role that you have to make sure somebody's really ready to take on and excited yeah. to take on and, and sometimes just figuring out how to identify that person. You know, before you put all that time into it, because it can take, I don't know, a year or two, I think, oh, before absolutely. somebody can really get to be Please listen to that. that. <laughs> just listen to what Sue just said. It, you know, if you are a doctor out there and you have just uh, found uh, a, a, a young, it doesn't mean, I mean, a new uh, person to administration, to nursing administration, this is not something you learn in a week, a month, three months. Maybe even six months. I mean, it, I, I think you're right, Sue. It mm-hmm. takes a year uh, to really get that feel. You got to go through a number of cycles of, you know, QA. So if you have a good nurse, treat them well. That's right. <laughs> because you don't want them to go away. I, you know, one of my favorite stories, I'm going to look at Jenna here uh, quickly. We we, uh, we have uh, an older nurse. She was in her 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who <laughs> she she had just had, I don't remember which grandchild it was. It had just been born just before the pandemic here. And, uh, uh, we had to cancel a number of meetings because of, like, we showed up the day that the baby was born, I think, and then, you know, first birth. I mean, I don't remember. There was all kinds of things. And uh, in the middle of the pandemic, she had already planned on retiring at the end of the year. And at the end of the pandemic, or during the pandemic, she just said, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she never wanted to be in that position in the first place. She, she was, she was, you know, the patient's nurse. She, mm-hmm. she was somebody that mm-hmm. liked Taking she, care was of people. she was a bedside. She was a bedside, and she was put into that position. And unfortunately, this is actually was a good. It's a good end because you know the new nurse that they have coming on board is uh, really interested in doing this. She's actually a nurse practitioner, if I remember right, mm-hmm. and uh, she's kind of stepping up, and we're very excited about that. But man, we were a little scared when when uh, when uh, our friend Anne uh, <laughs> left because uh, she really had uh, she had an important role there, and but we knew her heart wasn't into it. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Zach, uh, we're going to talk a little personal. Uh, So Zach was our one employee that was uh, caught uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, when the shutdown occurred. And uh, he was there uh, for a week. I don't know if that, really not a week of vacation. His girlfriend lives in Atlanta. He lives in Rochester. Um, And uh, he, uh, he was there for... I can't remember. Was it a whole week? or I was supposed to be there for about 10 days, and yeah. it ended up being about four months. <laughs> so I, I thought it would be kind of interesting to kind of look at you and say, you know, what was it like to be caught out of the state, uh, you know, during this? Uh, you know, uh, by the way, uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, Zach, uh, I've known Zach since he was a little bit shorter. Uh, in other words, a lot younger. And I, his father and I are good friends, and his mother and I are, you know, know each other. Um, so uh, I know that they uh, they suffered greatly. You're the only child there, uh, yep. so uh, they suffered greatly. So I I haven't had a chance to talk to them since then. But just talk a little bit about what it's like to be separated from. You have a very close family, you know, you know, being out of town, and of course the requirements of dealing with us every day, you know, from a thousand miles away. So you're right. It was definitely an adjustment becoming 100% remote, not being together as a group to work work together or go out on the road to visit clients together. Um, We talked before about, okay, it's nice to have Zoom meetings or phone calls to stay connected, feel a little bit in touch, but it's not perfect. It's not the same as being in person, but, you know, that made made me feel a little bit more connected still. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, you know, you were saying I was able to spend a lot of time with my girlfriend. Thankfully, that was that was a nice thing. Uh, we got to spend a lot of quality time together. I got to become acquainted with this new city, um, <laughs> Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta, yeah. Uh, while still obviously trying to maintain our social distancing and safety precautions yeah. as often as we can. Yeah, it was a challenge. I mean, and, and managing remotely when we hadn't even prepared for it, I think was uh, was a challenge. Just trying to keep the work schedule. So that was a challenge for all of us here. Is you know the the, the it went it we it's funny because our lives every morning we didn't know what we we're going to wake up to, but it was the same routine. We all woke up early in the morning. We had a meeting at ten o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock. It was uh, nine o'clock until. Jenna's morning sickness got so bad <laughs> that we had to secretly move it to 10 o'clock uh, to disguise the fact that uh, that she was so sick. She was running away from the Zoom then call. Then I would just <laughs> mysteriously disappear from the Zoom call when I needed to have a sip of ginger ale or crackers because I knew everyone would know right away. Or, or so we, we thought. Yeah, I thought I thought people might be more suspicious than they were. Especially Alex, who you're very, you know. You know, you're, it, you're, it's funny. I kind of forgot about the whole <laughs> her trying to have a kid thing. There was something going on in the world. You mean you weren't in on that? <laughs> yeah. I was so convinced that he knew and he was just being nice, but it turned out he had no clue at all. So it was a show. <laughs> Amy, you're one of our newest employees, but you're actually one of our... Uh, a longer term employee. So you would you've been working with me for seven seven years. Yeah, um, and you are Sue's daughter, by the way. We need to kind of point out we all know the, the relationship. Surprise, Amy, <laughs> but you you went <laughs> you went full time. Um, well, actually, only two weeks, three weeks ago, something like. Uh, right after Memorial Day. Right after Memorial Day, shows you how little I remember about the timing here. It just seems like. Uh, recently but time flies time flies definitely uh so just talk a little bit about uh you know what was your biggest surprise like you know being involved full-time and you actually uh you you joined about the same time that we started going on the road again so you actually got to do some of the first visits with us yes um i've done stuff with policy manuals and things like that before so i understand that we cover a lot of different regulations and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but i was really impressed with just the wealth of knowledge that this group encompasses with infection control and life safety and all the different things that this group covers because there's just always something different to learn mm-hmm. and so many different things that we can offer our clients and that kind of stuff that I hadn't even realized that we cover so many different things. And this was a paid advertisement from <laughs> from Sue. <No. laughs> So, Amy, I, you know, a couple things. Uh, first of all, one of the reasons that you are with us now, is, and I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, but uh, you had an injury, unfortunately, uh, just beforehand, yes. which was scary for your mother and me because uh, uh, you, 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 you got a broken nose uh, uh-huh. during this. And um, it was a workers' compensation, so as far as I want to go on, I'm talking about how it happened. <laughs> but, but immediately... It wasn't in fist- that's right. <laughs> and she also wasn't, it wasn't working here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> None of our employees. But now we know where to aim. <laughs> but uh, we were scared because the night it happened, you know, we're, you know, I think your mother and I was like, well, there's no way we're going, you know, we didn't really want you to go to the hospital. We had to, you had to go to the hospital. And then uh, when you went to the hospital, we found out that you needed to have surgery. 
and yeah. we had we had actually had to pull some strings, you know, among our, mm-hmm. our contacts to do this. And uh, but I, I just you know what what I don't even know how to ask a question or what question to ask here. But that that was kind of a how scary was it to you, um, you know, to to have to seek health care, urgent health care. From a hospital in the middle middle of this, I know what your m- mother and I are going to say. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I ended up I went to urgent care instead of the hospital because I really didn't want to be in a hospital during COVID. Um, but yeah, the idea of having to go for any kind of healthcare into any kind of healthcare office was pretty alarming, you know, um, just because. You know, I was trying to avoid any kind of that situation. So then the solution to the problem when you needed surgery is you <laughs> sought out a ambulatory surgery center. <laughs> one of our clients, one of our uh, close clients, that's how we, we pulled some strings to, to get you in. No, I mean, uh, we could have gotten you in and we just had a little yes. bit more control over the timing, you know, with that. So yeah. I just another takeaway is how important, we've talked about this before, how important our industry is you know, God help us if we have to shut down again, because I think we've all learned the lesson as to what, um, you know, what what the damage has been to the healthcare system as a result of this. And that's why I'm now going to turn to our newest employee. I am so excited. Denise Van Buren is joining us. Officially, I think you start on Monday. I, I, uh, but you've been with us uh, through this retreat, and you and I have been friends for more years than we probably care to talk about here. So welcome on board. Uh, the interesting thing is she signed all of her documents in the middle of this retreat here, so clearly we didn't scare her away completely yet. <laughs> Denise, um, to that end, you know, what we were just talking about with Amy here is that you, you're an in the, you, you were an administrator for a surgery center uh, in New York during this whole thing. You're one of the surgery centers that remained open for urgent-type cases. It was an orthopedic center. For, mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and I, you know, your input has been valuable, obviously, during this time. You, you worked with a client of ours. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, and, and by the way, Denise lives in uh, Virginia and works for a center in New York, outside of New York City. Uh, so she, when she was isolated, you were isolated for months. Right. So I actually had the opposite experience that Zach had. Right. So <laughs> I was in a so-called defined hotspot in New York, and yeah. my family was not even visualizing what COVID even was in Virginia at that time. Yeah. So I felt that I could not take what we thought was, you know, that high risk to my family in Virginia. So I was actually stuck in New York away from my family for seven weeks before we thought we got to the point where the safety level in Virginia had now reached the safety level of New York so that I felt comfortable going down there. So, yeah, it was actually the opposite experience. And it can really play on you to be away from your family for that period of time and not know you know, on a daily basis, what they're seeing and, and are they okay? And are they, yeah. I think I drove them crazy with phone calls. And <laughs> I should point out that Denise is a nurse have a temperature? <laughs> <laughs> right. Anybody coughing? <laughs> um, so, so there was... <laughs> yeah. That was a time cough here. Sorry about that. I do not have COVID. I just have allergies. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that was, you know, uh, on a personal level, that was quite, quite a yeah. different situation for me. And then on a professional level, you know, we did stay open, which was its own set of challenges. 
challenges all the way through this, mm-hmm. um, keeping up with the changing protocols on a daily basis. Uh, like to your point, on an hourly basis, there for a while was that's all we could do. Yeah. We thought, you know, at first we're like, okay, our volume is going to go down to, you know, so little, and and it did drop significantly. Yeah. However, we thought, oh, we're going to go through the policy and procedure manual, yeah. and we're going to do all this competency work, and. We had no time for anything, just keeping up with protocols, rewriting yeah. protocols, training uh, staff to make sure. And, and another uh, really important part that, that I saw throughout this was maintaining that patient and staff safety level yeah. to the point where we were having daily um, um, meetings with the staff because of the anxiety, anxiety level of the staff themselves. You yeah. know, they're coming to work every day. They're considered, uh, you know, essential workers um, and make trying to convince them that we were staying up with every protocol that came over and making sure we were following every regulation and recommendation that came over. Um, so we were meeting with them on a daily basis, and I think we were very successful in, in keeping them um, happy or satisfied that we were doing the best we could for them as well as, as the patients. Right. Um, you know, some of the other challenges we saw were um, the PPE availability that was touched on already. We're still seeing that. Um, yeah. And that, you know, and, and to touch on something Sue said with the credentialing, we are we were seeing throughout that, not just credentialing, but even just trying to get in touch with doctor's offices for patient information, yeah. they were closed. Right. They were closed or had such shortened hours that we couldn't get to them on a timely basis as well, and they weren't getting back to us, and then we'd get this message, sorry, but we're closed until next Monday, you know, and so we've just lost a week of yeah. trying to get just an EKG for a patient. So that that was very, and that, we're still seeing a little bit of that, that's gotten um, much better. And then most recently, the testing. The yeah. testing has become a huge issue for us. Um, we had a good process in place. We were seeing results in uh, 48 to 72 hours, which was within the three-day window. And then they opened it up to five days, which we thought this is going to be great. And then we saw test sites actually close, yeah. uh, which presented a whole uh, new issue where we were scrambling to try to find new test sites that would take the level of or the volume of patients that we needed and get us results in a timely manner. Then we found that, got that process in place, and, and now they're having trouble meeting the demand and getting uh, the results turned around in a timely manner. So now we're even having trouble meeting the five-day limits. So it's that constant, and, and this is what we saw all the way through the pandemic, is the constant changing of challenges yeah. on a daily basis and trying to meet those challenges. Here in New York, one of our challenges is uh, that uh, all healthcare organizations that provide uh, services or perform a procedure must have the testing done. And what we have found is that there are some organizations that are not following that protocol despite the government mandate to do that. And uh, uh, we've actually, at one of our centers, we have uh, doctors who said, well, I'm not coming to you because you you require me to do the testing, but if I go to the hospital, I don't need to do that. Or if I go and do it in my office-based practice, I don't need to do that. And we kind of point out, well, sorry, you do need to do that because uh, that's what the mandate is. So there are some people, there are some organizations that are blatantly ignoring that, which is hurting us. Uh, because we're, we, you know, we follow the, the rules here, and uh, I, I think that's, um, you know, obviously that's something that we need to do in order to maintain our reputation, and of course to, you know, protect our patients. Mm-hmm. And, and yourself. Yeah, and right. yourself. Exactly. Right. Beware the whistleblowers. <laughs> I, I want to shift uh, second to some of the personal observations that you might have 
uh, and, and this is for the whole group here, just personal observations. You know, what, what did you learn personally and how are you going to prepare for the next pandemic? You know, what, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to pack better. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine Denise being caught with, uh, you know, not, not a full uh, wardrobe <laughs> and a change in season during that time. Too. <laughs> well, don't worry. I'm, I'm starting to write up procedures for uh, <laughs> world wars, invasions. Oh my god. I got oh, here we go again. <laughs> I got you covered. Did the zombie attack one yeah, yet? Alien. Uh, alien invasion. <laughs> I know, zombie apocalypse. I did use the zombie apocalypse in one of the trainings for, uh, uh, apparently the government has that as a, uh, a procedure in place if zombies attack. <laughs> I don't know that any ASCs are going to adopt that. Yeah, it's funny, we're recording here and we are uh, we are actually gonna do a video recording. I'm not sure it's gonna come out with some of the quality issues we're having down here. And, and I apologize again for the sound quality here. We uh, we're in a very large room. Uh, but this is uh, Susan, my uh, crisis room it is it is a mess i mean we have a lot of our emergency supplies in the corner here you know this is a second kitchen down here that we uh, you know the refrigerator was all stocked with food and we're we still we're still drawing down on <laughs> on the stuff that we stocked up with. But yep. I think found that's where all the like toilet spam. paper went. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Now it's out there in the public that I like spam. <laughs> but the stuff will last forever. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that spam was from when I was born. <laughs> it probably was. Yeah, I mean I, I think you know we're we're better prepared. I mean I certainly uh, as we've been talking about on the podcast as well as just personally is that you know we are certainly always going to have a stock of uh, of uh, masks and everything else here, you know, to protect ourselves. Uh, you know, certainly never going to be in a position where we I, don't know, have toilet paper. I remember yeah. watching Contagion back in nursing. Yeah. It came out while I was in nursing school. I remember that movie. I watched yeah. it again like a month. Yeah, ago. and <laughs> my my one nursing friend and I came home from it. We're like, wow, that could happen, and like we should be prepared for it. And you know, we made a whole list of everything we were going to have. <laughs> But then we were poor college students. <laughs> <laughs> so they happened and I'm like, huh, I really should have actually... <laughs> should have had that list. Should have had that list. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is funny, you know, different situations that come up and, and to follow them through to all of the possible consequences. Right. Yeah. It's very difficult if you don't actually live through it. So obviously that's a reason to do drills. But even with drills, I think... Sometimes some things are just impossible to predict. Right. Well, or, you, or you really take some deep things. They can just mm -hmm. skip ahead three months. Yeah. But whereas yeah. here, it's when you're like there in the middle yeah, of it. This is yeah. on go. <laughs> go. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And so, there's really not an end in sight at this point. I mean, you kind of watch the news about the vaccine. Yeah. So that's what we've learned. Don't watch the news. Yeah. <laughs> well, the second coming, right? The second surge. Yeah. 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 Can we just not? Hopefully, <laughs> not the second coming. coming yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we need. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Do you have that? I mentioned in last I'm week. Going straight south. <laughs> I mentioned in last week's po podcast that one meme with the uh, the locomotive coming down the tracks at you on fire, and it said, "Here comes July." <laughs> that's what we feel. What is the next thing coming at us? Um, and, and I guess that's that's my final question here: is you know what is the new normal? You know how 
how do we, you know, one, one of our jobs is to prepare our clients to always be prepared, you know, for what the new normal is going to be. And I, I know we've heard the question from our doctors and, and it's always worded, you know, strangely, I'm sure you'll say the same thing, Denise, like, um, when can I get back to my normal volume? You know, when can I stop? I had this question last week. I had an emergency visit to one of our centers that had a, a, an HVAC failure. And, uh, you know, they, uh, um, they said, you know, when are we going to be able to stop doing this testing? You know, will it be by the end of the month? I mean, he literally had no clue that there is no end in sight for this. I, and I guess that's my point right now is there is no end in sight. But any other observations about what our I new normal looks like? A question from a client today about, and I know... One of you just mentioned it, Lori, I think, um, about hitting that. No, it was you, Denise, our newest. Thank you, Denise. Yeah. About hitting that five-day window of testing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, you know, we're consultants. We, I explained, no, I'm just, you know, I'm, yeah, it's unfortunate, and you're right. If your, your current supplier can't hit that deadline, um, although I wish there was another answer for you, you really are going to have to reschedule that patient you yeah. know, until you're able to get. He goes, well, when can I just stop doing this? And, I, you know, like the, the snarky part of the back of my head. <laughs> that was probably from me. July 2027. <laughs> okay. One thing that the people have learned is that you have to be able to adapt. Yeah. yeah. And you have it's to be It's not as willing. easy as it sounds. It's though. not. Obviously. I mean, even you're Obviously seeing in public with masks and, yeah. and getting close. And, you know, now the governor in New York just closed certain places yesterday because people are not following the rules. Okay, let's admit it, Jim. It, it's Jim upsetting to you because it was the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a compadre now. But I think you have to be able to adjust to whatever the circumstance is and just take it and go with it. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's I, the hard part. Yeah. And I yeah. think part of that is we're, I think a lot of people are figuring out that we need therapists a lot. More. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I have the it, name of someone in Rochester, by the way. Well, I think Alex might be actually tonight. referring to a certain girlfriend of his, too. <laughs> and my daughter. <laughs> and, and your daughter, right. <laughs> yeah, it's not advertising yet. Turn, hopefully turn into that soon. Yeah. It has been more of a struggle, I think, though, than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. considering that I'm not, yeah. that none of us around this table here are wondering if we're going to be able to buy food right. or, you know, if we're going to get a yeah. paycheck or, yeah. you know, anything like that. But it's still been such a struggle that, you yeah, know, I mean, it, it makes you realize how tough it's got to be for people that really have been more so financially so. affected. Yeah. Well, I we know. talked yesterday about how I, I, I personally became emotionally attached to those Zoom meetings. Yeah. Like it was almost like therapy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was... And I, I, I don't think you realize that it's it's hurting, not hurting you mentally, but it's affecting your mental health mm -hmm. as it's affecting your mental health. Mm -hmm. right. And you're right. In addition to however I think I felt, I never had to worry about feeding my children. Right. I never had to worry about paying right. my bills. Yeah. So how you know how awful it must be to have everything I had plus, plus that. that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, well, I were, left. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. I uh, went for my first OB appointment in April and one of the first things they did is and I knew what it was as a nurse it was one side was the um, testing your for depression oh, yes. and the other side was testing for anxiety <laughs> 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 and so I'm reading through the questions and I'm trying to fill it out while they're waiting for the nurse practitioner to walk in and I never met this nurse practitioner before um, in the office uh, but she always does the first OB visits and she walks in, and I'm still like, 
just staring at this paper. Like, how do I answer this and not sound like... And I said, I just held it up and I'm like, this is really just not a fair thing to ask someone who's pregnant during a pandemic. (laughs) Of course I'm not sleeping. Of course I'm more tired than normal. Of course I'm, you know, it's just kind of funny, the, the different questions. And she's like... Okay, well, let's kind of go through it one by one. And, you know, and I was, I'm like, I'm doing okay. I'm probably doing about as good as everyone else. I guess that's the way to feel it. But it is, it is an interesting thing to talk to friends and talk to people who, yeah, you know, coworkers and who, how is everyone doing? You know, how is your friends here doing? How are your friends in New York City doing? How, you know, yeah. how is um, it affecting people from different, industries and different locations differently and i think it's you know there but there is a universal um what the word is but universal suffering yeah i don't know but it brought it to us together in some in some way remember i said it was probably the most supported i'd felt we were together yeah think about it we were together every day which never ever happens yeah um so it was cool but not you know I think one thing that we have to remember, in my other life, I, I'm also a Presbyterian minister, and uh, I've been working with a group of uh, seven churches in the western part of New York here. And uh, on a weekly basis, I work uh, with these ministers who have had to shut down their churches, do everything remotely. And in the meantime, remember, you know, they're dealing with the elderly population. Every one of them has had to bury people in the middle of the pandemic. And in some cases, do a Zoom session with a person who is, you know, coming toward the end of their, their I can't even imagine. existence here. And I think well, the reason I bring that up, not to depress everybody here, is that it's important that we realize that our patients, our family members, we have one um, office manager in one of our centers who has lost five people in their family, five mm-hmm. people in their family in New York City during this event. Um, she is a wreck. I mean, I hope she's not listening, but she's a wreck. I though she would probably admit, you know, and, and she's still working, you know, and, and oh that's still, what we're only constant. Yeah. That's, yeah, the, that's I can the control. This. That's right. Yeah. And, and by the way, one of them was her fiance. Oh, uh, God. And of course we all lost, you know, Tom Salamone, uh, here, you know, a very dear friend of ours, uh, you know, during this whole uh, event. So I think we have to remember during this time, the challenges that our employees are facing, the challenges that our patients are facing coming into it and be very sensitive to that. But I do want to end on a positive note because I do think, as Judy was indicating here, I think there's been a lot that has, you know, brought people together. um, And we have to be grateful for the fact that we are, you know, those at least around the table here and many of our employees uh, in our organizations are, are fortunate to be, you know, to have a job, to have a guarantee of a job. And the good thing about healthcare here is uh, we're all employed and we're going to be employed for a long time uh, in this industry. So let's, uh, uh, let's be grateful for that. Anybody have any last thoughts, words of wisdom? Stay prepared for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank all of you. Uh, we, we still have another hour to go in our uh, thing here, but uh, I do want to thank all of you for taking, uh, this time to uh, sit down and uh, talk to our audience about your observations. And uh, uh, thank you again.
So as we mentioned earlier, infection control is now really the most important thing that you have to concentrate on in your ASC. Right. And the ASC podcast with John Gailey, as well as Amateur Healthcare Strategies, has a lot of valuable resources available to you. So as we mentioned uh, earlier in this uh, podcast, uh, infection control coordinator training, everybody needs it. And uh, we've got a wonderful six-hour program that's available. At the end of it, you get a certificate and access to a whole bunch of tools. And then in addition to that, we have infection control in service for COVID-19, which is available also at ASCpodcast.com. And this is a great resource to use to train your staff on how to deal with COVID-19, kind of the new world world we have. Mm-hmm. And then Amateur Healthcare Strategies, we provide uh, full-service consulting services. And now Amateur Healthcare Strategies offers a new annual retainer-based infection control service, uh, which includes an annual visit and development of uh, an infection control plan in services for your staff, competencies of your staff, and one-on-one mentoring of your coordinator. Helps you to review and revise your infection control plan every year, provides ongoing consultation with your infection control team. And then when infections occur, we have we provide assistance in performing the infection investigation. We also update you as changes occur throughout the year and provide access to our various educational programs. And all of this is included in our monthly and quarterly retainers or as a separate service. So for more information, contact me at 585-594-1167 or visit our website at ah-strategies.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all the rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development, All Rights Reserved. We would like to thank this week's sponsors. First, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, one of the nation's leading regulatory compliance and financial oversight firms. For a free consultation, contact John Gailey today at 585-594-1167 or through email at info at ah-strategies.com. And Eden Group Development, which publishes ASC Regulatory Compliance Series, the ASC industry's leading books including The Survey Guide for ASCs, A Guide to the CMS Conditions for Coverage and Interpretive Guidelines for Ambulatory Surgery Centers, and Ambulatory Surgery Center Governance, A Guide for Ambulatory Surgery Center Owners and Governing Body Members. These must-have books are available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble or directly from the publisher at reg-books.com. That's R-E-G-B-O-O-K-S dot com. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCpodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCpodcast.com.